The electrification of our transportation system nationally, statewide, and locally is happening. The national trends, federal funding opportunities, and state efforts around transportation electrification are important elements to understand. Today, we're going to take a look at what is happening at the large scale through the lens of the work happening locally. Hello, everybody. I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, and this is Impact Earth Energy. And I know that I've said this before, but there are a few things that challenge my brain more than imagining our city, our state, our country moving to an all-electric transportation grid. I've kind of like pounced on our guest today because I said, Dallas, this is, I'm so obsessed with this and how are we going to get from here to there? So hopefully um, our guest today is going to help bring some clarity about how one very large electric company in our state, Tucson Electric Power, is aligning their efforts with national trends, federal funding opportunities, and state efforts around what they call TE, transportation electrification. And when you think about that for just a minute, it is not something you can do just as an electric company or just as um, a, a car company or the state can't do it. This is the quintessence of partnership because there's a lot of moving parts, not no pun intended. So transportation electrification, the big picture. Please join me in welcoming the person to paint that big picture for us, Dallas Dukes, who is Vice President, Energy Programs and Pricing. Dallas joined TEP in 2004 as a Director of Corporate Accounting after serving as Divisional Controller for Citizens Gas and Coke Utility, now Citizens Energy Group, in Indianapolis. He became Director of Rates and Revenue Requirements in 2004 and was later promoted to Senior Director in that role, eventually assuming oversight of areas including new programs and services, customer analytics, renewable energy, and energy efficiency programs. He was promoted to vice president in 2019. And Dallas, it's really great to have you here. And my heart is always on my sleeve. So you know, I am sincerely obsessed with this whole um, electrification plan. And I also want to point out to everybody who's listened to me for so many years Think about how many guests we've had on the show where the people have worked at TEP for 10 years, 15 years, and you're coming up on 20. Mm-hmm. 2024, which is just around the corner, you're coming up on 20. And I like to acknowledge that because it speaks volumes about there's got to be something going on there. I don't know if it's in the Kool-Aid and the water cooler, but there's something really good that happens at TEP because people stay and they grow and they get promoted. It's yeah. pretty fabulous. Well, people love the... Tucson Electric Power, just the community and and the support of the community. One of the things we're going to talk about here today. So it, it's a wonderful place to work. And I've been in the industry 32 years. So been around a little while. And actually, uh, I've picked up in this last year the uh, the customer group. So I also have the customer experience under uh, my portfolio for vice president at, at Tucson Electric Power. It's massive. Like, yeah. it's massive. And I'm reading, sometimes I read what, what all of you are doing and I'm like, okay, Sleeping is just an option. That <laughs> so is correct. There really are many opportunities with this whole electrification. However, there are many challenges. There has to be. So what has TEP's stance been on this massive shift from the early stages? I know you were in on the ground floor, so tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, well, we 
we've been stri- striving for to promote electrification of transportation for more than a decade. Actually, uh, we've really been at this a long time, and and really the 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 larger picture kind of finally caught up with us because as a utility industry, we've always seen the benefit of electrification not only for cleaning up the local community air, the opportunities of a win-win, which we could talk a little bit more about, but now that we've all started to really push, uh, and I know you had Susan Gray, our president and CEO on here before. I did. To really push towards that greener, cleaner, cleaner, greener grid, you know, I mean, now it's truly a win-win because as we electrify and and we get away from carbon-based uh, uh, fuel and, and there's just all kinds of opportunity there. So moving from a gas-powered vehicle is not the same as switching to an LED light bulb, okay? It's, it's a massive shift. It's very different changes in behavior, changes in how you drive, because I told you when you got here that I've had several electric vehicles from the Chapman Automotive Group, and it's not a big deal, but it does require some behavior changes. Are you thinking about how you're going to engage your customers in a different way? I would think there's education pieces. It's a massive shift, a cultural shift in my lifetime that I'm excited to be here for. So how are you going to prepare the customers? Yeah, that no, that's it's it's truly exciting and and it really changes our relationship and our dynamic with the, the customers in a way that we haven't seen. I was thinking about this earlier since the days when uh, homes were heated with uh, coal and boilers and oil and had <laughs> oh oil lamps. God. Right, and, right. Uh, and it hasn't been that long ago. Yeah. In the big picture, we like fast forwarded. Yeah, but you know, customers have truly gotten to the point where, to your point, turning on a light, air conditioning, it's just kind of what we call table stakes. Everybody just expects it to we work. They don't think of it. They don't even think about it. And now there's this new excitement of us being able to partner with the community, educate our customers, provide tools that allow them to make these decisions on our website, partnering with OEMs, manufacturers, dealers, stakeholders. I know uh, probably Camilla talked about this a little bit, but in our statewide transportation electrification group that we were been working on this with, one of the groups we've been working, we had almost 500 stakeholders consistently. It's There's a lot of excitement about this. All the OEMs have made these What's an OEM? Oh, I apologize. That's okay. The, no, it's okay. The uh, original uh, uh, vehicle manufacturers. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, okay. So that leads me to, I. It, it, it cracks me up. And I sometimes think I share a little bit too much on these shows, but I have such a great relationship with DEP. It blows my mind that after 14 years, I can still learn stuff. I think I know it. I know the website. I know the programs, and on and on. What I didn't know, and it didn't surprise me, is that you're working with the Edison Electric Institute. And I read a lot about it. I went down the rabbit hole on Saturday to create alignment with other. I learned what an IOU is, investor-owned utilities. Exactly. It's not that you owe anybody in terms of how to approach um, transportation electrification. What does that partnership give you? Does it give you the national perspective? What do you get from that cross-pollinization? It, it, it mattered a lot what I read, but I want to know what it means to TEP. No, no, absolutely. Uh, just to let you know, it, 
There, there's a couple big groups that we work consistently with. Edison Electric Institute represents the utility industry, the investor-owned utilities, but there's also a group called the uh, E. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? I'm so used to using the acronyms, but uh, I know use the acronym. It's okay. And- Epri, Epri, okay. which is a a research institute that we okay. also work with. They're a neutral party, but they coalesce all the dollars and funds. What it really brings to us. You know, I know TEP is is obviously the larger the large utility here in the Tucson area, and and a fairly large utility. But by to your earlier comments, this is a huge undertaking, and TEP cannot afford the R and D. Our customers shouldn't be right. We would want to go to our customers for this early R and D, this early research, the lobbying. So what we do is we use the groups like Edison Electric, EPRI. Uh, statewide coalitions, all these different groups to help us understand how best to prepare for this, how to take advantage of lessons learned and those economies of scale, things like developing tools for our customers to make fleet decisions for where we should put chargers along the highway, what's the best practice to do that. So these are things we take advantage with those groups. And that's where I get this like brain dead. I mean, I get to a dead end so fast because the big dogs using gasoline or natural gas every day are Amazon Mm -hmm. and FedEx and UPS and United States Postal Service. But you have other customers like Sun... Some country. Yeah. <laughs> We're so excited. So you have to not just think about the thousands and thousands of customers like me that have a home and will be buying an electric car. You have to think about all of those bigger partners, bigger in the sense of high volume, high impact. So how can you help them? Like what do you what do you talk about in the meetings? It's as simple as that. There has to be infrastructure laid. There's a lot of money out there. How do you partner to ensure that TEP is in a winning situation, that your customers are, and of of course, Mrs. Green would say, and that the planet is, because I get excited because I like the direction we're going. Yeah. CO2 is not our friend. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I'll just kind of, I'll, I'll answer your question, but to your point with uh, residential customers and our mass market customers that, you know, live in their homes, and we know that that, that, uh, that changeover to electric vehicles is coming. And that's a, a pretty big undertaking as well, even though that's a little simpler problem from a perspective of educating those customers and allow and making sure that they understand what the cost savings are, how to operate the vehicles, where to find them, what's available. We, we've got those materials out there for our customers, and that's just going to continue to grow. But then we're going to have to solve the power to communities like your like yours that we're 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 recording this uh, in currently, you know those transformers and the wires were set up for an air conditioner and some light bulbs and a, and a stove. All of a sudden, right. you add 20 electric vehicles to, to the street. So those are going to have to be small, solved through things like small, smart charging, where we're alternating those, the charging times and working with customers and, and through communications. And that's all being worked out, and I'll say the OEMs again, with manufacturers, with national coalitions of uh, like the uh, the like EPRI, EPRI's one of those leaders that's helping us to do that. Uh, and then to your point, one of the bigger challenges is going to be 
the the commercial side of it, and especially right. Right. the heavy duty, the larger vehicles. I mean, for example, you talked about SunTran. We've partnered with the city in SunTran to provide electric buses to start to electrify the bus fleet. Each of those buses is, you know, it, it takes thousands of kilowatt hours of energy instantly because they're just large battery systems to charge those. So those those are are the issues that that we are going to be even more difficult to solve because we're going to have to build out infrastructure. We're going to have to bring more capacity on our system, but working with them to do that in an economical way. No one, could, to your point earlier, you brought out uh, about uh, purchasing a new electric vehicle. The prices are are, are merging. the The price of a of a combustion engine vehicle and electric vehicle are they're going to overlap here really quickly. And this year, next year, they're going to be about essentially the same. Buses, commercial vehicles, semi-truck trailers, that's going to take a little longer, but it's going to get there. But they can't just economically go out and, for example, FedEx, even though they've got a lot of money, it's a big company, they can't go to a facility that's 400 trucks and just switch 400 trucks. No, they can't. That's right. It's huge. So we've worked with partners to develop uh, tools to help them plan that, also, when, when vehicles would be available, and we've done that in partnerships with like the National Electric Highway Coalition, with, uh, like I said, EPRI, EEI, and I apologize for bringing these up, but we've also got some other partners behind us that help us with some consulting groups that we're all leveraging our, ourselves together, and we're, we're using the power of the, the... The great thing about the utility industry, and I apologize for running a little long on this, but the great thing about the You're utility... You're not running in, long. I'm, oh. I'm eating it up. <laughs> okay. The great thing about the utility industry is we don't really compete against each other. Right. So we are more than happy to see Arizona Public Service figure something out. Nevada Energy, Duke, Southern... Fortis, which is our parent company, our sister companies in that. When they figure things out, we all get together real quickly and share that information because I'm not competing directly against them to sell widgets. What I'm really doing is trying to find a way to support the community and to, you know, we talked a little bit about that that conversion from oil-based uh, lamps to, we we facilitate life. We, we <laughs> You know, from from the hospitals being able to, to do what they want, we 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 drive the economy, and it does get a little taken for granted, and we probably don't toot our horn enough. But doing that, I'm sure that, I'm a big horn tooter. Yeah, for TV, you could I could have a bumper sticker. Yeah, but doing that because <laughs> I know what you do reliably, affordably, because our community we 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 think about it all the time, and that's another thing with the electric vehicles we really think about is ultimately trying to drive ways for low to moderate income and for our community to be able to afford that. Secondary vehicle markets, how to get chargers into their neighborhoods. Uh, so a lot of great things are, are, are coming and we're working on them. One of the things that this reminded me of, I went to, and it had to be, you know, I want to say five years ago, so it means it was probably 10. I went to a national conference in San Francisco and I went to one of the pre-sessions and the Rockefeller Foundation, I think it was them, it doesn't matter, they're not going to be fact-checking me on this, funded 10 cities to work on sustainability plans, sustainable action plans, 10 years ago, okay? Mm-hmm. And I sat on that, I, I observed, because they had the 10 cities all represented there. And what what made me think of that is a city like, say, Baltimore would say, well, we want to try this 
and we are working on it. And somebody from San Francisco would say, oh, God, no. Oh, no, 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 no. We tried that. Here is why it's a disaster. Here's what you need to consider. So I thought about the National Electric Highway Coalition and these other groups you're doing. It really hopefully not only shortens the learning curve, but gets us where we need to get in a hurry. It's yeah. like you're you're cross-pollinating, you're sharing ideas and intellectual property, and it's not a competition. But I do want to know, so Dallas, how does, I have so many questions that pop up with this subject. It's a lot of dinner conversations yeah. in my world with people that are saying, how are we going to get there? Should I buy an electric vehicle, blah, blah, blah. When it comes to like I-10, do you participate in that? Because you're really a utility for Tucson and Pima County and some other parts of Arizona. But it's all one connected grid when you think about it. So yeah. do you have to work and think about, well, there's always the highway. It's not where people are going to charge their vehicles unless they need to along the way. So how do you how do you show up for that part of the conversation as a utility? No, absolutely. And uh, as you know, we Again, we have defined service territories, so it, it, it is a great conversation. We sit down at like National Electric Highway Coalition, where all the the investor-owned utilities and the, and other utilities, cooperatives, uh, smaller utilities that are along those highway corridors, and we've really sat down and and try to talk about you know common sense approaches of how many chargers <laughs> you need per miles, where they need to be, what's the most effective for the consumer where it'll be a good experience for them, and where's the power available, and what can we do first? And really, you start laying those things on top of each other. Where's, where's the highway? Where's, where's the, the, the wires, the grid? And we've even had uh, the transmission companies be involved in that, not just the electric companies, but the high voltage, the big lines you see along the highways. How can they participate in that? Is there a way to leverage them, especially when we start going to the large commercial vehicles being a part of that. Because again, you start to think about, well, you know, when I'm driving uh, the Audi you talked about and I want to go from Phoenix to to, Las, to Tucson to Phoenix to Las Vegas, uh, you know, I can map out where the chargers are. But if you're in a tractor trailer that, you know, has 300 plus megawatts of capacity available to it or hundreds of megawatts of capacity that it needs to charge, there's only going to be limited facilities, so you got to start thinking about where can those be, where can those hubs be. So that all happens at the at, at, at those coalitions. We've you know federal governments involved. There's all kinds of stakeholders. Every level you can think of. Every level. And you can think also of. the manufacturers, the car manufacturers, they want to get those vehicles out there. And I, I said to you off air that we go back and forth a lot between Tucson and New Mexico. And I'm hyper observant. My my scanning devices are on steroids when I'm doing that because some of those vehicles you talked about are filled with cattle yeah. and vegetables that might I mean, it's it's got to happen. The trucks move the world in our in our country at this point. You see it, and I I watch. The last time coming back, I would say it was ten trucks to every one car, and I'm I'm barely kidding because that's mm-hmm. that's how we move everything. Yes, and every other every third one of them, I think, might have been Amazon. So I'm trying to change that a little bit. Yeah. So you're a locally owned utility. Not really. Fortis, let's go. There's layers there. Yep. But still, you are a local provider. We're locally managed and we, we're yes. part of the community. The leadership is here. This is where we live. So, yeah. Right. So, 
United We Stand, do you have to work with other groups to align your messaging for advocacy around what the feds and the state does for funding and all of that stuff? Because to me, I would see this is a perfect, I don't like to use the word lobby, but getting your ducks in a row, there's power in numbers. And do you work together to kind of inform or coach or advise the feds and the state people about what it's going to take on your end? Because at the end of the day, you're at the bottom of the food chain. You're starting it or the beginning. Let's just say the beginning. You're the ones that are going to have to do it. Yeah, I mean, obviously there's been some unique opportunities there as (laughs) well. That's a good way to say that. Uh, Because with uh, all the, uh, the, you know, I think most of your uh, your listeners have probably heard about, you know, the federal infrastructure bill. There's a lot of dollars, a lot of commitment to uh, to trying to electrify, improve our transportation systems and our highways, but also the facilities that are necessary for that. So, yeah, we work with ADOT, the federal government, key partners, key customers. I mean, we spent a lot of time uh, with the county, with Davis Moth, and oh, with, yes. with uh, I didn't even think of those. Yeah, with you've mentioned before <laughs> FedEx, uh, UPS, right. but but uh, a, a lot of these key customers, and yeah, I mean Davis Moth and the county, the city, uh, those are key players because I, to some degree they're the ones that are kind of moving first, and and so they've made those commitments to help us learn and and improve that process. And we spend a lot of time with them talking about how we can help them plan that conversion and also what systems they, what, what, what infrastructure they need. Uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. It's very exciting because, uh, as, you, as you said earlier, I mean, this conversion to electric energy and our transportation, the elimination of the noise, the elimination of the tail pipe uh, exhaust. Ultimately, as our systems get green, and that's happening faster and faster as those costs come down and those opportunities arise, I mean, it's just a win, win, win. Win. And when you talk about the military, I I don't know if you know how much about my journey, but I was not involved at all in environmental movement when I started this. It was a steep learning curve in the beginning. I just knew that I had to do it. And boy, did I learn about how much the military brings to the table with all their R&D on many levels and went and they were such early adopters for solar. And I went and looked at the solar array that they had out there. They're really doing stuff and the solar backpacks because when people are deployed and they're out in the middle of the desert, solar was so critical to them to help their technology work. So partnering with them is exciting and they put the money behind it and they have people's lives and safety and the safety of our country front and center. So it was very, um, it it blew me away, actually. I can say when I went on a tour, I was like, holy smokes, I had no idea. So let's talk about funding for a minute because that also cracked me up. There's massive amounts. There's billions of dollars at stake here. And everybody's going to be putting their hat in the ring. You know that. So I was thinking, I had so much fun preparing for the show on Saturday. I'm thinking, how in... Heaven's name, are they going to figure out, you, TEP, your partners, what to ask for, how you're going to do it, how you're going to strengthen the position for Arizona so that we're getting it. This is a national show. We will promote this nationally. And it's everybody, it's on everybody's mind. Mike, I saw my girlfriend from New Jersey and she was grilling me about electric vehicles and what did I think? And so it's, it's just 
a big, huge national conversation. So how are you going to work with people for the funding opportunities to make sure that you get enough for us, Dallas? No pressure. Yeah, well... (laughs) The great thing there is that we've got some some super folks at Tucson Electric Power that uh, have really dug into into the uh, infrastructure bill, looked at all the different opportunities, and we kind of took this approach. Let's look at what we think makes sense, and then let's proactively reach out to our largest customers and our city and county governments and our state governments, and let's really look for what we believe would be a great partnership and our great University of Arizona. Sorry. Yes, we have to. Oh, my gosh. I'm a graduate. I have to say yes. Look what they're doing. Chris Kopech and his people getting things off the grid. That's the only thing I'm still mad at Dave Hutchins about. (laughs) He had that secret that he said, oh, I'm going to tell you something, but you have to wait till September. No. I asked every guest that ever came. They said, we're not telling you, kidding. If Dave said he's not telling you. Yeah. (laughs) I said, I can keep a secret. But the U of A is a magnificent, powerful partner. So we've taken that approach of going through all those different infrastructure bills, all the different funding opportunities, the request for proposals, the grant applications. And what we've done is try to highlight the, what we think has the greatest potential, go that and proactively went and sat down with our customers and looked at, at opportunities to partner with them. Because obviously, to your earlier point, TEP is just a piece of the equation. So, uh, you know, we, we're really trying to to hone in on what we think fits for our community, our customers, and our system. And so uh, I think we've got a great shot at some of those. We've done it before. The uh, the SunTram uh, bus conversion, that was actually a, a, a national grant as well, that the wow. city and SunTram. Wow. Now, we stepped in early, made a commitment, helped them write that, participated in that, and that's been a great success. We've got, I think, five buses operating right now, and that's just going to continue to grow. So you have people just pouring over this, working on it, making sure, looking, talking to other people, because it's massive. I mean, the bill itself, I can't even stand thinking about it. Yeah. I can't because it's so big. So let's do a little other, like put this in the mix. For people that are listening from around the country, there's lots of differences in the way Arizona runs the world or sees the world. So you have a layer called the Arizona Corporation Commission. And this is really an honest question, and I have no idea what the answer is. Do they have to play into this in terms of transportation electrification? Because they're oversight. So do you have to, you have all these other regulations, state, federal, guidelines for the grants that you're going to get. Do you have to factor in dealing with the Arizona Corporation Commission? No, the simple answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not dissing no, the no, corporate, but it's another layer. It's another layer. Uh, of Yes, we absolutely have to work with our Corporation Commission, who's our primary regulator, and, and really look at making sure they understand what we're trying to accomplish. They understand the benefits. And then ultimately, any program we put in place, absent just completely uh, funding it out, out from shareholder dollars. And I know, you know, our shareholders provide a, a lot of benefits through uh, contributions to nonprofits, charitable contributions. But to fund this kind of level of infrastructure and the it's needs... It's not related, happening. It's not going to happen. It's not happening. It's just, it's just too big a scale. Right. I, I mean, it you know, if, it, if they needed a 50 chargers in the city of Tucson, we could do that. But we need... 5,000, 50,000. So it's a huge commitment. So it needs to be something that the Arizona Corporation Commission supports and understands. So So then there's the whole thing that the next piece of it is 
Could you go into a little bit of a deep dive about what you think some of the biggest obstacles and challenges would be? I'm sure you've thought about that because there are going to be obstacles. Like for me, when I got the car from Chapman to use for a year and a half, I had to put an extra plug. Don't ask me to get technical, please, because I'll embarrass myself. You know, I had to have an outside plug that the charging thing fit in. Mm -hmm. And I had to get permission from my landlord. It's the first time we've rented in ever, in 50 years. So it was a little bit inconvenient, but not really. It was like, so what? The landlord, of course, said yes. And now we paid to put that in. So the next person who rents from here will be able to plug in their electric vehicle. That I don't see that part as an obstacle, but what are some of the biggest challenges you're talking about? I'd love some inside addition on that. Here's one I thought about. Oh. Everybody I know in business, in plumbing, electricity, carpet, you name it, there are supply chain issues because of COVID. It hurt our country. It hurt the world. Mm-hmm. And it's still happening. I just heard some friends this week their little two-year-old granddaughter got COVID, their, her mother got COVID. It's not over. So there are still delays. People are still getting sick from COVID. There's still delays. There's the whole catch-up thing. So is trained labor force going to be a challenge? Is literally getting all the parts, <laughs> moving parts that you're going to need? Like, it's massive. So what do you see They can all be overcome. To me, it just means it'll take longer. But what are some of the biggest challenges? I don't think money is going to be one of them. And that's maybe that's really naive. There's lots of money they're going to put to this and more money. No, you actually brought up some very good examples of of the challenges that I think about. And and it's more about kind of how do we get this timed right so that we can help the community in the best way possible? Because we always want to be very... Judicious and how we move, we use the funds available to ours to help. Uh, but to your point, just to take one of those threads out of there, uh, I think, and I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but I order of magnitude. But in a current combustion based vehicle, there's a couple hundred, 300, 400 semiconductors in there. Oh, dear Lord. In an electric vehicle, there are thousands. Now, there's less moving parts <laughs> mechanically. But there's thousands of semiconductors, and you all have heard, and we all know how challenging that environment is. They're trying to build manufacturing facilities as fast as they can to get that that production back up, but that's going to be a big challenge to, till that manufacturing's in place, until we've we've kind of solved the shortage of semiconductors and the and. And that that relationship to those coming from other parts of the world that maybe have some political strife right, and issues. There's that. That's very real. Yeah, to get that to have enough of of a manufacturing base in the United States or with partners that we, that we know will continue to deliver, that's going to be a big challenge because that's. We can build the infrastructure. We can get everybody fired up, educate them about transportation. To your point, the federal dollars, the private dollars, the investment communities, everybody's fired up about doing it. But thank goodness. But But. we have to have the manufacturing in place. The, The vehicles just aren't coming quick enough because of the shortages of materials. So that's challenge today. I I think we'll get the infrastructure, uh, the education. we have enough time in there and, and, and there's enough energy behind it that the smartest and the brightest folks, I, I, you know, it's funny, you know, years ago uh, when, when you had uh, the, 
the, the super bright folks coming out of MIT and, uh, you know, you name it. The all big The big think tanks. The big think right. tanks. They were all trying to go into the internet companies right. and go into social <laughs> the media. Yes. Now they're all wanting to save the world, and that's great. They're all going to the tech companies. I'm glad. And the electric <laughs> companies and the electric industry because they know that's where they can make a difference. And, and also, it's to me, it's smart because it's our survival. Mm-hmm. The thing I say about climate change, if you think you're immune, you really should go see someone about that because <laughs> climate change knows no boundaries. It doesn't, it doesn't care. It just is. It's not political. It just happens. So that's a great point to think about. It doesn't matter. It's no. happening. And the smart people in the big companies know it's going to impact their workforce. It's going to impact their capabilities to deliver. So here's another one. How in God's name are you going to adapt? And I, let me explain a little bit. So anything that's on electric vehicles, my daughter, who is a news junkie, she is so well informed about things like this. She calls me, she tapes it. She goes, mom, come in here and look at this. So I saw this thing in like maybe, let's just say Norway, Denmark, or Sweden, one of those countries, right? right? And it was, the road was providing the electricity. It was a stretch And it was an in-depth thing. It might even have been on 60 Minutes, the electrification of our world. And I think about it, you guys are on, you you know, guys, I use that for both. Um, I don't want to get DEI stuff in, in trouble here, but everything changes so fast. So let's just say you're on a trajectory and I'm making this up. It could be not even a possibility. And you buy 10,000 widgets or 200,000 widgets. And then the next week, there's a new widget that's more efficient, that's more, stores more batteries. How you don't have a crystal ball. Is that a natural part of the evolution? Because what are you going to do as technology changes? To your point, there's brainiacs working on this stuff Mm -hmm. and there's new advances every day. And when I looked at that and they mentioned what the price was for like one mile of having the, the trucks got their electricity from the highway. So what are you, how do you, how do you have the crystal ball effect? How do you factor that in, Dallas? Yeah. Talk about stump the guest. <laughs> nah, yeah, that's true because uh, no one has that crystal ball. But at the same time, uh, again, we're part of the solution, a, a big part of the solution. So to your, to your question with regards to most of that technological change is at kind of the charging of the vehicle level and the types of communication equipment, how those vehicles will be charged. You know, you you asked me just a minute ago, what are the things that I also worry about that are going to kind of slow us down? And that is that, that that's the other thing. You've got the, the, the availability of, of materials, supply, but also ultimately it's got to be solved to where the charging is, is, Rapid and yes. it, and it's easy. Yes, 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 yes. So, yes. And and there is tremendous amount of, of work being done in in that field, and it's and and they're they're already there. Now it's a matter of driving the price down and deciding which one's Betamax and which one's VHS. Now that's things <laughs> that we won't control at TEP. 
Chevrolet, Chrysler, Ford, Ford, Volvo, you know, they're all working together because it's in their best interest to ultimately get down to kind of a a one or two standards. You can't make every car where it's got a ability to charge from the street, ability to charge from a plug and ability to charge from something hanging over. You know, they're going to have to make some decisions there. Luckily for us and our standpoint, we're worried. We, We have to be concerned about the power being available, the connection and the type of load that is for, for our system. So our problem's a little smaller in that equation. Still complex. Still complex. Still complex. Still complex. And what about this? When I And I love that I had the experience. This is what Chapman wanted me to have so I could be able to talk about it, articulate what some of the challenges were. And here is one of them. So we would go to um, go to our charging station at a Walmart super charging they have at the superstores is where they had most of them. This is on a 10-hour trip across mm. New Mexico and Arizona. And at least three or four times, the charging stations were what I learned is off-grid. Yeah. They're down, they're this, they're that. And so, and they're, the, I used many, I, EVgo and a number of other ones, and they are nice. They have phone numbers where you can call, but you call up and you say, Basically, what the heck am I supposed to do? How long is it going to be? Now, for the ones that are at the supercharging stations, they had an answer. When I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and had a call, they said, well, we are going to get an engineer there sometime this week. So for me, when you talk about adapting and customer behavior, I was like, oh my God, I was down to like maybe 30 miles, which can turn into 10 if you put the air conditioning on. Yeah, I found that or out too. Climbing a hill. <laughs> so, are the charging station companies, of which there are many, is it getting better, Dallas? Because for my short experience, which was under two years, I had problems where I almost got caught with no electricity and I was going to have to call AAA. Now, my fault, maybe. But thinking there was a charging stations and pulling it up on my app and they're down 10 of them at once, how are the charging stations keeping up? Because yeah. they have supply chain issues. They have technician availability issues. So what's your sense of, is that going better for the for the small customer, not the big dogs? Yeah, my sense is yes, they're getting their arms around that. The, those those level two chargers and even yes. the, the, the fast chargers to a certain level uh, are, are becoming, um, there's more of them out there. I, I, there's a couple layers to your question there. One, are the- are, I do that to people. Uh, are, that's I'm right. sorry, are I the, do. <laughs> is the current technology and the support of that, is that support getting better? Are they being maintained better? And I, I think that's absolutely happening. Uh, there was a wave, I'll call it five plus years ago, that kind of early wave that got out there, even though there was a wave before that, but let's call it about five years ago, that first big wave again, that, uh, you know, there were challenges. They were early technologies and uh, and the support systems weren't there. Those are getting better. They're improving. But also the other side of that is the magnitude. And that's really where the real answer is. I mean, if you have choice and competition out there for those customers, if if there's charging at Circle K, there's charging at QT, there's charging at Walmart. Right, right. They're gonna they're gonna start to maintain those. You got more choice, and and that's got to break down that range anxiety, which is another challenge for electric. But you know, again, I hate to say it this way, but folks had to solve that when they went from horse and buggy. It's the darn truth. To, I mean, to it's, cars. it's that big a leap. 
And when I say I'm excited about that, I'm happy that I'm going to see it in my lifetime. And I never get the name right, but what are those big Fords, FX or something, 350s or 250s? My husband knows, the big big trucks. When they announced that they were going to come out with electric, something happened to me. It was like, if that's happening, this is so real. Because I would see those big trucks. And if you live in Arizona... You know, when I came from New Jersey, I was like, why do people have all these pickups? It's, it was shocking to me because hardly anybody I knew ever had a pickup back there. Mm-hmm. Well, here, lots of people need them. They have hay to haul. They, it's, my husband has a pickup truck because we use it for hauling things and moving things. And we don't move hay, but farmers, they need them. There's people here in this community that really need to have pickup trucks. And I would go, oh my gosh, how are we ever going to cross that bridge? And then Ford announced, well, we have yeah. an electric vehicle. That gave me a lot of hope. Yeah, and General Motors as well. And and that's just the tip of the iceberg. You've got Rivion, you've got... Uh, uh, the Hummer that Chevy, you know. I was blown away. Yeah, it's so. like, what? Yeah. Now, what about the cost for the consumer? And what, what I should have done, and I didn't, and I just thought of it now, I should have researched the scope of the commercial vehicles versus the consumer, us, the just the the drivers, not, not customer, not... Um, commercial vehicles. So for the many, many millions of cars on the road that are owned by an individual, is the cost going to be an issue in terms of adaptation for the vehicle? Like in my lifetime here, the short life is Mrs. Green's world. All I have seen is the cost of electric vehicles go down. In the beginning, they were so cost prohibitive. It was like, what a joke. But now you have like VW come out with a $35,000 vehicle. And even though that is cost prohibitive for many millions of people, it's also affordable for many more people. So what do you think is going to happen on the consumer side? Do you think the vehicle prices for electric vehicles will continue to go down? Because you're going, I'm doing it again to you, Dallas. No, that's all right. I'm doing it again, but you're following me. It's all of those things like supply chain issues, like cars sitting on ships that aren't moving yet, like a part that there is a trace mineral needed and they don't have any more. So those factors will weigh in on what the price is as well. It's not like when we first invented the automobile. We can manufacture unlimited, but even with that, it's going to be complicated. So back to my original question, it is, I don't, I wish we had video so you could see the eyes he's giving me. But um, is it going to be a factor, the affordability factor, especially when you consider, you know, low income families and and people that don't have 35,000 they make $35,000 yeah, a year or less how's or less how is that going to be addressed that's your ultimate DEI question and I know TEP cares deeply about that yeah well again multi multi parts there let's 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 unpack it <laughs> can a little. you please deconstruct that well, question <laughs> at least from my perspective uh obviously when you talk just manufacturing the cost of manufacturing an electric vehicle that's still got lots of leg room to take advantage of economies of scale and to see that that cost decline. Now, we live in a free market society, so the other side is, is the demand grows, and until they get enough manufacturing, you may see that price get held up just because there's higher demand out there. Uh, I, I, I know an individual, you talked about the Audi e-tron uh, oh, that you drove. the dream car. Because they're not really, they're not really 
readily available. Not affordable for me. <laughs> well, not even readily available in the right, Tucson right, right. market. Because of the demand, folks can sell those in the used car market for fifty, six thousand more than they paid for it because of the demand. So you, that's got to be solved by manufacturing. You've got to get the numbers available up. The cost is going to go down. Right. They're going to make some good Scale. money on it. That's reality Scale. for a while. Scale. Uh, you know, so that's good. But then to solve the low mar, uh, your lower moderate income, those folks that I, you know, we call them the the uh, the donut. Uh, customers <laughs> that, that kind of live between uh, the obviously customers that 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 qualify for a lot of federal assistance and other programs, and then you've got the folks that obviously can they just don't think about it. They right. just pay for anything. Right, right. You got right. the donut in the middle, which is most people. Most of us. That's what most. I'm us. in the donut. Not setting. Cream, yeah, not setting with thousands of dollars in their bank account. Don't have a lot of room in their budget. Uh, for those folks, the the used car market for electric vehicles has to develop. Right, so, right, uh, and it will. Yeah. It will. It's just, oh, my gosh. And we're going to do everything we can to help that in our communities. But once the once the vehicles get available, the resale market, and what we can do is really support that way, working with dealers, getting charging facilities available in their communities. If you live in a multifamily community, uh, you know, an apartment dwelling or rent a home, you to you know you're fortunate your your landlord lets you change it, but we want to make sure they've got access to that. So right. that's what we right. can do as part of that. Uh, but to your to your ultimate question, I think ultimately we'll we'll look back a decade from now, and because of how much you could save on fuel maintenance, and the cost will be less than as as they go from to manufacture more electric vehicles than combustion vehicles. I think you're going to see a. a Kind of a, a great period for, for the consumer because those are going to be available at affordable cost. And the Audi e-tron, to your point, first of all, since I'm sure, I think I was Cleopatra in another life, so I would not have been pumping my own gas as Cleopatra. Somebody would be doing that for me. I don't like filling my car up with gas. I don't like the smell. Yeah. Sometimes it drips. I don't like it. It, it, it stinks. It's horrible. I loved that e-tron. <laughs> However... In two years, almost two years, nothing went wrong with that car. Dallas, nothing. I plugged it in. I woke up in the morning because I'm on time of use, which is another joke here that I found out I was on time of use last week when another TEP guest was here. And I loved it. Like for the consumer end and when I had a hybrid, again, it would just, you know, it would, it would, I would get gas, which made it easier to travel if I needed it, but it charged when it was on the road. So it was just, it was a magical experience. And I hope there's one in my future. I mean, my, my daughter in Taos is working on something, saving for a lucid. I never, I think it's called yeah. a lucid. Yeah. And so that's another thing I wanted to talk about. To me, um, since we started having vehicles, three major manufacturers in the United States, and then along came Toyota, and then along came Honda, and along came VW. So it it made a much different market for us. It evolved and gave consumers a lot more choices. That's another thing that I think is interesting. The ability of Tesla 
to create, to add to that fourth group of big manufacturers in this country. And believe me, I'm not an Elon Musk fan. It has nothing to do with Twitter. It has to do with he made charging stations that are only adaptable, used by Teslas when he could have put an infrastructure that everybody could have used. He's never called me back about that either. (laughs) Um, It's so important, but he could have put an infrastructure because in a lot of the places we go traveling, there are nine or 10 Tesla charging stations. Good for him because he saw it coming. Yep. And I have friends that are buying Teslas like you wouldn't believe. So it's it it makes it a little bit more palatable. But mm-hmm. it's like a USB. We should have had just USBs for one charger fits all, in my opinion. Yeah, that goes to my earlier comments. These manufacturers are gonna have to coalesce around one They're option. They have to work together. Yeah, and they are, they are. Okay. Those standards are being worked on with the, uh, like groups like the Alliance for uh, uh, for Transportation, Electrification. There's there, there are those alliances are out there that are partnering and the, uh, the manufacturers are involved in that process. And they are working towards kind of one, one standard, or at least a a, a must uh, a, a much more standardized version that can be be used readily, uh, not just even the charging, the communication, because these electric vehicles, unlike uh, well, even though there's a lot of computers on our cars today, they're basically rolling computers, they <laughs> are. and they're going to be talking to your house, talking they to the are. network, talking, they are. you know, which I guess that could scare some other people, but right, right, it's I don't think you're going to avoid it. No, know? I don't think we're going to avoid it either. You're going to be able to set the temperature of your home from your car or your app on your phone. Yeah. So this is like, I'm asking you, Dallas Dukes, your personal opinion, because I care, and maybe it's because of my age and I want things to happen faster so I can get to see all of them, and I plan on living at least another 30 years. What kind of timeline are we looking at when you would say, we have really made a shift, like a significant shift, let's just say even to 50% commercial electrification and 50% consumer? Is it three years? Is it five years? Is it 10 years? In your crystal ball, I'm not going to hold you to it. I'm not going to call you up in five years and say, Dallas, you lied to me. It's not happening. But you're in the mix. You are in the national mix, the state mix, the local mix. What timeline are we looking at? I hope you say soon, but how soon? Well, I think uh, to get to that magnitude where it's a majority of the vehicles is is probably a little farther out than that. I hope that it doesn't. Okay, that's a good answer. It's a little farther out yeah. than that. But, uh, you know, uh, not that I've gotten more pessimistic because I absolutely have not. But the challenges we talked about earlier uh, and and the cost uh, of the vehicles and, and everything right now, it's probably slowed that down a little bit, but then on the flip side of that, gasoline at five, six dollars a gallon is right. going to ignite it. That's right. So you're right. It's I didn't think of that. There's yeah. a, there's a, a plus and a minus, and it's really interesting because we are an international community, and nothing proved that faster and more quickly than COVID. Because when things stopped coming in from over around the world, we got a big message and it still hurts. Yep. I mean, it's still hurting still companies struggling. and the workforce. I'm going to interview um, Marcy Euler and I think his name, I'm not sure what his name is. I, I will find it from um, Pima Community College and how they're getting ready. 
okay, let me see. I want to say his name because I'm really excited, but how they're getting ready by training the workforce because workforce readiness is another thing. Yep. It's ha- Greg Wilson, I was right, uh, you know, applied technology. But it's it's going to be, you don't think about that because you have to have kids and young people and brainiacs to work on something very different than changing someone's oil. Yeah. Agreed? No, absolutely. It's uh, it's more of the geek squad from uh, Best Buy than, <laughs> than the Jiffy Lube. Yes, it's the geek squad. Yeah. And, and getting our kids, and I say kids, our, our young people ready because they're going to be good jobs, yes. well-paying jobs that will continue to evolve and grow and be in training. So I don't have any more questions. I don't. And I want to know if there's anything I forgot, if there's things that you want to add that said, oh, Gina, I thought you were going to ask me this. Because to me, this is what I call big brain thinking. It's a lot of big brain stuff. And to get our head around it, you have to press pause and clear your brain and think about it. Because especially with how much we've been traveling lately, I go and I think, how are we going to get from here to there? And I have ultimate faith we will. Mm -hmm. But the pandemic certainly threw a curveball. It did. It really did. You know, Set us back a few years. That's exactly. And I, I, I was going to answer or add that to my answer to the earlier question that had you asked me pre-pandemic, I, I might have said less than 10 years you're going to see significant, maybe get not to a majority of the vehicles. But a but, big leap. But you'd be significant leap. I, the pandemic has definitely had a significant impact on that. It's still coming. You know, it may be a little longer than that. Uh, but I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. I appreciate I that it. you're out there getting <laughs> the message it. out, having those conversations. We can only do so much uh, education, outreach, information. You, you've probably talked about you know our incentive programs that we have. We have tools out there to help customers on our website. Call us, reach out to us. Uh, we're more than happy to help. If you're a commercial business, reach out to us because there's great opportunities for them to help their employees. Uh, providing charging facilities, their customers, and we're really doing a lot to help those uh, commercial businesses because we see that as is also part of their business viability. Agreed. You know, they're going to need those facilities. We want to get out there and help them now while we can and help them make those uh, th- those conversions, add those parking spaces. So uh, any way we can help, and I appreciate And I'm time. glad you brought that up because... Uh, hotels. Yes, hotels. People are going to want to know how many charging stations you have. And if you have four and I get there and they're all full, that's not going to make me a happy camper. Bookman's is one of my partners. They're building a new facility and they talk to me about connecting them with TEP to find out what they need to do because people are going to want. Bob Oldfather put charging stations in the Bookman's on Speedway 10 years ago. Talk about he was there making things happen. So it's every business, to your point, that has commercial traffic, people, consumers going in and out, it's going to matter because Mm -hmm. a 10-minute charge for me coming back from Casa Grande one day made the difference between having to call I was going to have to call ARP or AAA, yeah. AAA to come get me. I'm like, how embarrassing. Yeah. And it was because I had to use the heater. So I just stayed cold. But it was, it, it's, it really matters that you can get there and you never had to worry about getting to a gas station. Yeah. Right. It's a big one. And to your earlier question, I, I do think we're less than 10 years away from, from having enough charging facilities on the main thoroughfares that folks will Great. quit worrying about Great. that. Great. 
And I see that. Yeah. I can see that just in the five years of us going back and forth in New Mexico. Like I said, I'm hyper. I'm always scanning to see what it's like. And the other day when we went to this rest stop where we go to, there were 10 Tesla charging stations. No Teslas there, but I, I'm going to be watching every time. I hope to see lots of Teslas yeah. there the next time. Electrify America is going to fill in some of those voids there. Oh, Get them right by the Tesla. Electrify America. Yeah. I know. Okay, so my final thoughts... The transportation electrification train has truly left the station. I believe that. And I, for one, am a citizen that truly believes we're in good hands with our power company when it comes to comprehensive, well-thought-out, and passionate commitment to one of the most major shifts in the way the world works. It's going to happen in my lifetime. It's a big one. It can be overwhelming for me to even think about it. And it is overwhelming for me a lot. And so I try not to because at the end of the day, when all is said and done, I really do believe, and I'm looking you in the eye, Dallas Dukes, that we're in good hands with TEP. I know it. I believe it. I feel it. I experience it. I know I can sleep at night knowing you're watching for things that I can't see. Um, I can't wait to watch the change happen. It can't happen fast enough to move us to a cleaner, greener city, state, and country. And my final thanks, after I thank Dallas, thank you, Dallas, for being here and sharing all of that expertise and your enthusiasm and, and what you know, and it gives me hope. And my final thanks is always to you, our listeners, because without you, there would be no us, and I'm glad there's an us. Make it a great green day.